Hey, good morning. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here at Westbridge. Awesome to have you with us. Hello to everybody joining us online. And uh, we're continuing our series, Your Future Self Will Thank You. I just want to like piggyback on what Craig just said in the video and say that if you are a volunteer leader here, if you serve on a team anywhere here at Westbridge Church, don't miss Friday night. If you haven't signed up yet, get on there and sign up. We want to make sure as many of you are able to come as possible because we're going to have so much fun and it's our way to say thanks. So please sign up for that. We would love to see you. Now, we're continuing our series called uh, Your Future Self Will Thank You. And the whole point of this series is that uh, the decisions that we make today, hopefully, when we go into the future, our future self will thank us for the decisions we're making today. And I know that as we kind of reflect on our own life, all of us probably, hopefully, somewhere along the way, have a decision that we made 10 years ago or a decision that we made 20 years ago that we're thankful that we made that decision then because we're reaping the benefits of that decision in this current season of life. And so when we think about that, that gets us asking the question, okay, what are the decisions that I can make today then that my future self will thank the present me for making those decisions? And as uh, thinking about that uh, in my own life, like what, will, what are the things that 41-year-old Jeremiah can do that will cause 51-year-old Jeremiah to go, man, thanks for making that decision. Good idea. Great call. And so we've been tackling different topics and different parts of our life where we believe if we'll make these decisions today, your future self will thank you. Things like uh, the paths that you choose and recognizing what wisdom looks like and the appetites that you tame. And last week we said that the, the time that you spent with God, your future self will thank you for the time you spend with God. And so uh, today I'm going to tell you one of the things that your future self will thank you for is the money that you gave away. I know that's hard to believe, right? Your future self probably won't thank you on the money for the money that you spent on yourself or the money that you spent on uh, some amazing trip or those vintage Jordans. But I know that sounds crazy. And I know maybe some of you, you know, if you've had a previous uh, negative experience with church and they talk about money and you're probably thinking, oh, great, a pastor talking to me about money, just what I wanted today. Great. My favorite topic. But here's what I've come to discover, and uh, you might be hesitant to admit this, but hear me out. I've discovered that God is the giver of every good gift. That God really is the giver of all the good things in my life. That God is a God of generosity. And I understand as we talk about this topic today that uh, you have me at a disadvantage because I don't know what your previous uh, church experience has been when it comes to the church and talking about money and finances and wisdom and all of those kinds of things. And I know that a lot of people have probably developed a little bit of PTSD uh, around this topic in church. And so I'm going to ask you just to open your minds and consider a few things today. And just to let you know, I'm very aware of the perception that many people have when it comes to church and, and when it comes to this topic, that the church just wants your money. I'm super aware of that. But here's what I want you to know. Every weekend at Westbridge, here's what we try to do. We try to look at the teachings of Jesus. We try to look at the teachings found in the scriptures. And we present them in a way that will make sense and you can apply to your life. And here's what you get to do every single week, regardless of whatever the topic or the teaching happens to be. You get to decide what you want to do with that. You get to decide if you want to agree with it or disagree with it. You get to decide if you want to apply it to your life or not apply it to your life. Our job is to simply present, here's what Jesus teaches, here's what the scriptures teach, and then you get to decide what you want to do with that. And we're going to do the same thing with this topic. And so you get to decide, I agree with that or I disagree with that, or I'm going to apply that or I'm not going to apply that. And here's what's awesome, you, you can keep coming back and you can keep disagreeing with us and keep showing up. 
And we're glad that you're here. But what we're going to do is present the scriptures, present the teachings of Jesus, and then let you, how you decide to apply that's between you and God. Now, if you have not yet made a decision to follow Jesus, maybe you're exploring faith. Maybe someone invited you, or maybe you're kind of got, you know, dipping your toe in the water and trying to figure out where you stand on the whole God thing and church thing. And uh, I totally get that. So today, I just want you to listen. This is an invitation for you to listen to what the scriptures teach on this. And my prayer is that you will find this to be uh, inspirational, that you'll find it to be uplifting and encouraging, that you won't find it to be um, confusing or misunderstanding, because this is a topic that in churches often gets misunderstood, often gets confused, and sometimes even uh, abused in churches. And so we're going to do that in a healthy way without any guilt, without any manipulation. Now, for those of you who are here and you'd say this, I have made a decision to follow Jesus. I've made that decision. I've put my trust in him with my life, and I'm so grateful for that. The goal here is not to make anybody leave feeling guilty, but I do want to make you aware. And I do think it is a place for those of us who are followers of Jesus, not to feel guilty, but it is a place to respond in obedience once we discover what Jesus teaches. And I want to encourage you to do that. And I sincerely believe, not only based on the scriptures, but based on my own experience, that you will discover that God's teaching when it comes to money will cause your future self to thank you. So let's jump in. Here's one of the things that Jesus says right off the bat in Luke chapter 12. He's with a group of people. He's teaching a crowd. And he says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And I know what you're thinking. If only so-and-so were here this week to hear this talk, they really need this message on greed. Greed is one of those things that is so easy to spot in other people and so very difficult to spot in yourself, isn't it? In fact, in more than 20 years that I've been working on staff at churches, I can tell you I've never had somebody come up to me and be like, you know what, can I talk to you? My problem is just I really struggle with greed. No one's ever said that. People have told me all kinds of struggles, but I have yet to have somebody come up and go, I just recognize I'm just a greedy person. No one's ever said that to me. And it's so easy to see it in other people and difficult to realize in ourselves. Greed is the inability to be content with what God has given us. It's the inability to do that. It's this, it's this striving for more. And Jesus tells us to guard ourselves against that because if we're not careful, we can start to buy into the myth that our life is measured by how much we've accumulated and how much we've acquired. And one of the worst things that can happen is that we actually spend a lifetime pursuing, accumulating all kinds of stuff only to achieve it and realize it actually never brought us what we thought it would bring us. In fact, musicians and bands and rock bands all throughout the the ages have actually tapped into this very idea. Here are some of the amazing songs that have been written, and maybe you can finish some of these lyrics. Rolling Stones wrote this, I can't get no satisfaction, right? I can't get no satisfaction. They tapped into this very idea. Another one, U2, they wrote this, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Right? Another one. This one's pretty famous. Notorious B.I.G. Mo money. That's right. Mo money, mo problems. Or maybe this one. MC Hammer. We're reaching back here. Too legit, too legit. Yeah. That had nothing to do with money. I just wanted to see where the MC Hammer fans were sitting. (laughs) Right on. Parachute pants, baby. All right. Jesus brings this topic of greed and generosity right to the forefront of his teaching. 
It's really amazing. In fact, the value of generosity is one of the most talked about values in all of the scriptures. And when you think about things like love and hope and faith, and you think surely that's kind of the thrust of the scriptures, right? But when you look at it, generosity is brought up a whole lot more than faith and hope and love. In fact, faith is brought up 246 times. Hope, 185 times. Love, 733 times. Generosity, 2,285 times in the scriptures. That's a lot of emphasis on generosity. In fact, you could probably accurately say that the story throughout the scriptures is a story of generosity, of God's generosity toward us. And, and it really captures this because these other values of faith, hope, and love are often expressed through generosity. It's important to note, the scriptures never say that Christianity is an anti-material religion, right? It doesn't say that uh, Christianity is not anti-stuff. Jesus never says, well, uh, you, you can't own nice things. It's not a calling to a minimalist lifestyle. The teaching isn't sell everything you have and live in a van down by the river, right? It's not that. In fact, there are a lot of places in the scriptures that tell us God loves to bless people. He loves to give his children good things because he's a good father. And he loves to fill our lives with good things. But in almost every uh, scripture teaching where there is a, a, it's expressed that God has given us good things to enjoy, there's also a warning somewhere along with that that goes somewhere along these lines, right? Enjoy these things, but don't get obsessed with them. Enjoy these things, but don't worship them. Enjoy these things, but don't let your value system get out of whack. Don't, don't lose priority or lose focus on what is really important. In other words, pay attention. Guard yourselves against every type of greed. So whether you're in a place in your life right now where you're making more cheddar than you've ever made, or you're broke as a joke, here's the truth, okay? The things we're going to talk about today apply to you because this is about mindset. Now, I think that if we can put the things into practice that we're going to talk about today, your future self will thank you. So we're going to look at a couple of different mindsets when it comes to money. Okay, and if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. Abundance versus scarcity. Scarcity versus abundance. There's a scarcity mindset and there's an abundance mindset. The scarcity mindset is the mindset that there's never going to be enough. And if you have a, a scarcity mindset, you tend to live like this. You tend to hold on to however much you've been given, however much you have, you tend to grab onto it. You live with your fists closed around whatever amount you have in life because you're worried that there won't be enough. And if you're worried that you won't be enough, it naturally leads you to hold on to however much you have. Oh, I better elbow myself to the front. I better make sure that I get mine. I better take care of me. That is a scarcity mindset. Now, the abundance mindset says there's more than enough. And when you believe that there's more than enough, then you can live open-handed. You don't have to hold on to however much you've been given because the reality is you know there is an ultimate source that provides for all your needs. And so you can live open-handed. And then when, when you live like this and you are giving things away, you're also positioned to receive. And you receive more from God. And you go, I actually believe there's a big God who owns it all and takes care of me. And he'll actually provide what I need. So I don't have to hold on to it. I can actually give it away. I can actually be generous because God keeps putting more in. Because he's actually the one who owns it all to begin with. That's an abundance mindset. Now, you can really see this at play, particularly for me. You can see this abundance versus scarcity mindset at play when I was a kid and pizza night with my family. 
That's how you know if you have a scarcity mindset or an abundance mindset. Because when I was a kid, every Friday night, my mom would make pizzas and I had a scarcity mindset. And here's what would happen. I'd look at the size pans that my mom was using. I'd be like, oh my gosh, there's not going to be enough. There's four siblings. Okay, it's a family of six. I'm like, okay, we're cut this many pieces. I'm doing the math. I'm never good at math, except that night I was perfect at math. I'm like, okay. And then, I, and then I'd like track my, like, okay, my brother, it's the second piece, all right? I'm on my second piece. As long as I'm further along on my second piece than he is on his second piece, I get that third piece. That's called a scarcity mindset. An abundance mindset says, no, God owns all the pizza in the world and you're going to be fine. But I don't know any kid that lives with an abundance mindset on pizza night at home. We're always just like, oh, come on, there's not going to be enough. What do you mean you ordered the medium? So order family size, come on. And you get that, right? It's like there is an abundance mindset and there's a scarcity mindset. And that mindset carries over into our adult lives. Do I, do I have the mindset that, okay, God, you own all the pizzerias in the world? Or do I approach my adult lifestyle like I approach family pizza night when I was a kid? I better, oh, am I going to get mine? Am I going to, okay, I got to track, okay, okay, okay. Do I live that way? And I think sometimes we still, in our adult life, live like it's family pizza night, and we're worried that we're not going to get enough. God doesn't want that for us. And here's what I've learned about an abundance mindset. It has nothing to do with how much you have. It's just, it's a mindset. It's a mentality. It's how stressed we are in our own minds. Because you can have plenty and still be stressed that you're not going to have enough. You can be eating at Golden Corral and still worried you're not going to get the dessert you want. When in reality, you could probably shower in their chocolate fountain and nobody would care, you know? Did you know that we actually get the word miserable from the word miser? Um, a miser is someone who has wealth but hoards it. They hoard whatever they have. They live like this. It's a miser. And we get the word miserable from the word miser. That means that you can have more than enough and still not be happy. You can have more than enough and still be miserable. Because to be miserable is to live like this. That's why God wants us to live a life of abundance. Why? Because he wants something for us. Not because he wants something from us, but because he wants something for us. And that's how we want to live. And so when it comes to this idea of generosity, generosity is how we combat greed. And when it comes to this idea of generosity, let me give you a few different perspectives on generosity. The first one is this. Number one, I got to give. I got to give. Yeah, this type of thinking says giving is a law. It's a commandment, right? Uh, I've got to do it. And I better do it to make sure that God doesn't punish me because if I don't give, God's going to punish me. And what ends up happening is that you give, but you kind of give reluctantly. And you give because you feel guilty. And you're like, man, you know, you've been a little bit manipulated. And you know what's scary? That actually works. There are, there are so many people who give in response to pressure or guilt or manipulation, and they're like, man, it works. We make people feel guilty. We take verses out of context, and we shame people and manipulate people, and people go, uh-oh. I mean, I don't need God mad at me, so they write the check. Last thing I need is to fall out from under God's blessing. I better write that check. For some of you, that's your background. For some of you, the message was, you, you better give. You got to give. And if you don't, then somehow... God's going to punish you 
God's going to be mad at you. God's going to be upset with you. And for some of you, that's your background. And I understand why you would keep God and church and all this idea about generosity at an arm's distance. And maybe you've even leaned a little bit into the scarcity mindset as a result of that. And yet, I just want you to know, God doesn't want anything from you. And neither do we. We actually want something for you. We want you to be able to live the kind of abundant life that God created you to live. And for some of you, that's one of the things that you love about Westbridge, is that whenever we talk about this, because we have to talk about it, it's, it's throughout the scriptures, it's such a big part of our lives. But when we get this right, when we talk about this, we talk about it in a way that doesn't use guilt and doesn't use manipulation, right? And, and we're not harping on it all the time, right? And we're not saying, you know what? The streets in heaven are paved with gold, but they ain't going to pave themselves, folks. You know, we're not saying that kind of stuff. We're like, man, when the roof leaks, those are God's tears for his children not giving. Come on, people. We're not doing that. Maybe you're thinking, all right, sweet, no guilt. That's great. And it hasn't actually increased your generosity at all. You just removed your guilt. Now I don't have to give and I don't feel guilty about it. That's not the point. That's not really healthy for you either. And maybe you've trained yourself only to give and only to be generous with what God's entrusted to you whenever some guilt or manipulation or some pressure is applied. I can tell you that is not a healthy way to have a good relationship with your heavenly father. So that's one approach. I got to give. Here's another approach that we sometimes find in churches. I give to get. I give to get. Now, this takes a master's degree in manipulation, all right? This is where you take some principles from the scriptures Things like uh, you reap what you sow, uh, the cup that uh, will be poured out and measured to me, the cup I use will be poured out and measured back to me, or God will multiply my generosity. And, and so now I, I can use generosity like a boomerang, and I can just chuck generosity out there, and God's going to come sending it zinging back to me, you know? And God, I could really use 100 bucks this week, so I'm going to give you 10, and I'm going to go sit by my mailbox and wait for that hundo. And it's amazing, this is, this is basically, we take these principles, which are not promises, by the way, they're principles. Principles are, generally speaking, this is how the world works. Generally speaking, this is how life works. And we take these principles, and then we, we turn them back and use them to hack God. And say, okay, God, uh, I'm going to use that for my own benefit. And when you give with that perspective, you're not really being generous at all. You're just trying to look generous. And when you give to get... Whether that means, God, you're going to give me financial blessing or whether it means, God, you're going to, you have to give me your special blessing or some kind of favor because I gave. When you give to get, then your motive is twisted and there's really no generosity there at all. It's actually just a, a kind of another version of the scarcity mindset that says, I'm going to do everything I can to work the angle to, so that I can kind of life hack God and get what I need from him. That isn't what God wants for you. So these are a couple of perspectives. I got to give or I give to get. But here's, here's really the healthy approach. Number three, I get to give. Not I got to give or I give to get, but I get to give. I get to give. Every good and perfect gift I have comes from God. Everything I own is on loan. He's the one who owns it all. He's, he's the one who has entrusted it to me and it's mine to manage well. And so God is so good that I just want to share with others. God's so good, I want to I give out of what God has given me. And I get to because he's so faithful to give to me. And God has always proven himself to meet all of my needs. And I want to live with an abundance mindset. So I get to give. And here's what Jesus was trying to teach 
to this crowd of people in the first century who were struggling with this idea of greed, who were living with this scarcity mindset and trying to hold on to all that they had. Here's what he says. Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. If only we understood that a little bit better as Americans. Because instead, here's what we do. We tend to spend money that we don't have on things that we don't need to impress people that we don't know. Think about that. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. And so Jesus then tells them a story to help illustrate his point. He told them this story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Now, this is a sad story, isn't it? A man owned so much stuff that his storage bin became full. He became sad. I'm sorry, sir. We have to give you the notice that no one ever wants to get. We can no longer federally insure your bank account because it's reached the maximum amount that we can federally insure, and you're going to have to open another bank account at another bank. Oh, it's terrible, isn't it? Can you imagine bringing that prayer request to your small group? Guys, can you pray for me? I got the notice from Wells Fargo this week. They said, that's it. I can't put any more money in. They said, too much money, and I got to open a whole other bank account at U.S. Bank now, and it's unbelievable. I'm in a totally different tax bracket now. The chaos. Can you just pray for me? Sad story, isn't it? And that's what's going on with this guy. He's got so much that he doesn't know what to do with all that he has. So then he said, Jesus continues, then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods, and I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night, and then who will get everything you worked for? And the answer is somebody else. And yes, Jesus continues, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Jesus called him a fool not because he had a lot of extra. He called him a fool because he didn't understand why he had a lot of extra. Jesus called him a fool not because he had earthly wealth, but because he had earthly wealth, but no rich relationship toward God. Jesus called him a fool, not because he had extra, but he didn't understand what to do with his extra. He made the assumption that all of the extra that he had was simply to be used for himself. And he didn't invest any of it in eternity, anything with eternal significance. So at the end of his life, Jesus says, when your life ends, what do you have to show for it? Who will get all that you worked for? You didn't send any of it ahead. You didn't invest any of it in anything with eternal significance. And now it's just going to someone else after you died. It represents a some total loss. This is not a story about God punishing some guy for being rich. It's a story about God being grieved by the effects of greed. God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. He wants you to experience the abundance of living a life free from greed because he knows that when you trust him, you have a rich relationship with him. It's the same thing I want with my kids When my kids start to develop a scarcity mindset, there won't be enough. I want them to know we provide for you. We have more than enough for you. We are happy to give it to you. 
But that comes out of relationship. And because we want you to trust us, that's when that comes. And God, that's what God wants for us. Why? Because he's a good father. And he wants us to have a rich relationship with him. So it's not don't have a lot of stuff and not don't accumulate earthly wealth. It's when you accumulate earthly wealth, recognize where that comes from and recognize why God's given that to you. We're blessed so that we can bless others. So here's the real question. The real question is not, do I have enough to give? See, that's a question a lot of us ask. Do I have enough to give? Okay, if I have enough, then I can be generous. And that's how many of us approach generosity. We think if God would give us more, then we would be generous. If only I made more, I could be more generous. God, if you'd give me more, I could be more generous. Did you know that statistics tell us that the average American spends $1.18 for every dollar that they make? Now, I got to tell you, I am no math major, but that feels like a problem, doesn't it? That does not seem like a long-term formula for success. And yet, maybe we've never thought about it in those terms, but a lot of us, we, we kind of approach generosity like this. Oh man, God, I wish that I could be more generous, but I've already sent out a dollar and 18 cents for every dollar that's coming in. So I'm already kind of behind. So if you could just provide for me a dollar and 19 cents, man, that, that extra penny, that's yours. It's going to you. So get busy with that dollar 19. And uh, man, that's coming right back to you. And that's how we tend to approach generosity. Think about it like this. I brought some apples with me today that I picked up from the grocery store on the way over. And uh, these apples represent what God's given us. And some people are one apple people. God's given some people an apple. God's given some people bags of apples. Some people have orchards of apples. And, uh, you know, got a little distracted there. Okay. Just wanted to show you I can juggle. Okay. (laughs) So dumb. All right. The truth is, here's what God's given us. God's given us. Some of us an apple, some of us a bag of apples, some of us more. This represents what God's given us. And for some of us, we take this and we just consume it and we eat it. And we go, God, thanks for the apple. And we're grateful. And then God gives us an apple and we consume it. We go, God, thank you. I'm grateful. We consume it. But here's what's amazing with apples. When you cut into them, what do you find? Seeds, right? And when you take these seeds, something happens that's a miracle, isn't it? You can take this seed and you can plant it and it creates a whole lot more apples for a whole lot more people. It's amazing. It's a miracle. We don't know why this works. It just does because that's how God created it to work. So when it comes to the things that God's given me, right, when it comes to the, the apples that God's given me, that God's put in my life, what do I do? I can consume it or before I consume, I can actually plant And when I do, it becomes more than a meal. It actually becomes a miracle. Inside this apple is the potential to produce a lot more apples. And that's all that God's asking us to do. God is asking us to say, look, if you consume all your apples, it's a meal. But if you plant a seed, it becomes a miracle. And that's what God wants us to do. Start by planting before I consume. God, I don't want to consume everything you give me. Uh, I pray that you would make this apple more than a meal for me, but that you'd make it a miracle in the lives of other people. That's what I'm asking you to do as I plant these seeds. And I'm not going to worry about counting my apples and comparing how many apples I have to other people, right? How do you like them apples? (laughs) Just plant before you consume. 
Now think about that. Think about the miracle that would be. And can I tell you something? When you give, when you plant before you consume, one of the ways to do that is here at Westbridge Church. When you give to your local church out of what God's entrusted to you, here's what happens. Nobody who works at this church, who serves on our staff, nobody's salaries or bonuses or anything like that are tied to, man, we had a really good week this week. All right, guys, dig in the bucket and get your bonus. I just want you to know that. It's important that you know that. Because when we gain more margin financially as a church, we just do more ministry. That's it. No, nobody gets raises based on the margin. The margin is how we determine more ministry. The more seeds that are planted, then the more that we get to plant more apple trees. That's it. And the more margin we have financially as a church, the more people we get to impact, the more ministry takes place. The more we get to send out to more missions work overseas and more global partners and more local partners and the more that we get to do and make impacts in the lives of other people. So the right question to ask is not, do I have enough to give? Here's the right question to ask. Do I trust God with what I have? Do I trust God with however much or however little I've been given? Now, I also brought some buckets with me this morning. I got more props than carrot top here. Put this down here. All right. Now, when it comes to the money we have, you can think about it in terms of these buckets. So many of us, we've got these buckets that uh, one is, uh, what do we got here? We got our living bucket. This is all, all of the things that we do. Uh, that just, we live, right? This is our car payment and our house payment and the food and the clothes and all entertainment and all that stuff. Then some of us have this bucket, the debt bucket. Hi-ho, hi-ho, I-o, I-o. It's off to work I go, right? And then uh, we've got a future bucket. This is our future savings. And then we've got a 911 bucket. And the 911 bucket says uh, this is for emergencies, right? When the car breaks down and when the rodents eat through the wires in our house. And then we have a giving bucket which is the size of a Yahtzee cup. And that's okay. Because God doesn't ask us to give everything he's entrusted to us. He asks us to give a percentage back to him out of what he's entrusted to us, to manage it well. But here's kind of our approach to this. Oftentimes, if we're honest, this is just human nature. Is And I had to learn how to break this in my own life, okay? Is, okay, first, take care of my living stuff. And then, of course, I got to pay that debt. And then, uh, you know, if there's any left over, I might save. And some of us may or may not have an emergency fund. And then, man, God, if there's any left over, you know, then I'll be generous. So God, if you could just, if you could give me more to fill up these buckets, then I could be generous. And the reality is, what we should consider is, God, what would it look like for me to create more margin in this bucket? To lower this bucket so that I could actually start putting some in this so that I could get rid of this bucket. And then, God, what would it look like if what I had been paying to the debt bucket, I started to fill up this 911 bucket? So that when that emergency comes along and the car breaks down and the rodents eat the wires, I don't have to put that on a credit card and fill up my debt bucket again. So now this one's ready and taken care of. And that leaves me, that leaves me with this. And now, God, I can be generous. But I got to take care of this and this first. So then, God, anything left over, I'm going to give to you. And here's what God asks us to do. He's not asking us to say, oh, you better change this to a bigger bucket. All he's asking us to do is reverse the order. God's going, look, what I'd like you to do is just do this. What I'd like you to do is give and then save and then live on the rest. Give, save, live on the rest. This is how I want you to approach it, God says, because this idea is like God's not going to expand our giving bucket and ask us to have this big giving bucket. He simply says, I just want you to plant 
before you consume. That's all I want you to do. With however much or however many apples you've been given. And you don't have to count your apples or compare your apples to anybody else, but just however many I've, you've been blessed with, however much has been put in your hands, give, then save, then live on the rest. Give, save, live. Give, save, live. Give, save, live. In fact, in Proverbs, Solomon writes this, Honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. Give him the first and the best. Before you consume, plant. Invest before you consume. We've talked about this so many times, and every time that we talk about money, wisdom, finances, giving, generosity at Westbridge Church, this always comes up. Give, save, live. Give, save, live. Give, save, live. I want this burned into our brains. I want my own kids to understand this principle. In fact, when we talk about it with them, we say 10, 10, 80. 10% we give right off the top, first thing. 10% into saving. 10% and I live on the 80%. And I promise you, if you'll do that, you will always have peace. You'll always have financial margin. You'll always have the room to be generous, and your future self will thank you. And here's why. The miracle is in the mission, not in the margin. The miracle is in the mission, not in the margin. When you decide to be generous with whatever God has given you, you are actually pointing your money toward a mission that makes a difference. You're giving it a purpose. And the miracle is in where your money is pointed, not in how much of it you have left. And then, when your living bucket appears to expand. And all of a sudden you get that promotion, you get that raise, uh, that your, your third great aunt dies that you never even knew and she leaves you a massive inheritance. Uh, you win the lottery somehow. Like, okay, wow, it's amazing. Maybe you consider instead of just growing your standard of living, you grow your standard of giving as well because now you're living with an abundance mindset and you see things through the lens of generosity. You recognize your money is actually pointed towards a mission and making a difference. Here's, here's what the Apostle Paul writes, and we're going to close with this. In 1 Timothy, he writes this. He's writing, Paul is writing, he's kind, of, he's kind of expounding on the teachings of Jesus. He's writing to a young man who's a pastor of a church in Ephesus, and he writes this. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. This is why God doesn't want us to live like this, because that can let you down. It's unreliable. When we learn to rely on our stuff and we hold on to it like this, at some point it will let us down. God will never let us down. And so he says, teach them not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Paul says, I'm taking the teaching of Jesus, and Timothy, I'm expounding on this to you. And I'm telling you, he says, your future self will thank you. Those who follow this, they will thank you because here's what you're doing. You are laying a foundation for the future. You are actually taking hold of the life that is truly life when you learn to live this way. And I know this is true of you because I know it's true of me. I want that. I want to take hold of the life that is truly life. I don't want to get to the end of my life someday and say, wow, that was really empty. I want to get to the end of my life and say, I lived a tr the life that is truly life. I don't want to spend my entire life pointing my resources towards margin and end up with a whole bunch left over at the end of my life and nothing to show for it. Because at the end of my life, if all I leave behind is my stuff, then no matter how much I have left over, it will be an empty life. And that's the point of Jesus' story. 
And that's why Paul urges Timothy to encourage people to point their resources, to point their money toward a mission and not just toward margin. Because when you do that, you are experiencing the life that is truly life. And we, as we close, I just want you to know, this is something that our family does. This is something that my wife and I do, that we do this. We've done this for the last 25 years. This is how we live our lives. We give, save, live on the rest. That means, that means you have to drop the standard of living in order to make that a priority. It's the only way to do it. Unless you somehow get more, maybe that'll happen. But the only way to do that is to drop the standard of living so that you can begin to plant before you consume. And I can tell you there's been seasons where that's been really, really difficult. But we do it because we, we, we want to live like this. God, we trust you're the owner of it all. And I don't want to live like a 12-year-old on pizza night when I was a kid. I don't want to be watching everybody and make sure I get mine. I just trust that you're the owner of it all. And you've entrusted it to me, so I'm going to just continue to plant out of whatever you've given me. And if that means I have to lower my standard of living so that I can make giving a priority, I'm going to do that. Now, here's why I say that. All of our staff do that. Everybody who works here, this is how we model our lives. And here's why. A couple of reasons. I want you to know we're not asking you to do something that we're not doing ourselves. And I say that because I also want you to know we don't need anything from you. What I love is that when we teach about money and giving and generosity, we never teach on it from a position of deficit. We get to teach on it from a position of plenty. The church is doing well. We don't need anything from you. We just know God wants this for you. And so we learned this from Jesus, who taught God so loved the world that he gave. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son so that anyone, everyone who believes in him wouldn't die, wouldn't perish, but would live forever, experience eternal life with him. The God that is found in Jesus, that is modeled through the scriptures, is a God of generosity. And he wants us to have a rich relationship with him. And so I, I want to speak to two groups of people as we close. One, if you're here and you'd say, you know what, I've never made that decision to follow Jesus. I want you to know the story through the scriptures is a story of a God who is generous toward us. That we had a deficit in relationship with him. And yet he made up that deficit, and he restores relationship with himself. In fact, in the ultimate expression of love, Jesus allowed himself to be put to death. His body was laid in a tomb, and according to multiple eyewitness accounts, he actually rose from the dead. That means death is not the end, and you have been invited to be a part of God's family. And it isn't something you earn your way into. It is something that God, in his generosity, does for us. He moves in our direction. And if you've never said yes to that, I want to give you that opportunity to say yes to that invitation. The other group of people is those of you who have said yes to following Jesus already. And maybe you've never approached generosity this way, and I want to invite you to simply move giving to the front bucket of your life, whatever that looks like, that you would give, save, live. And here's how you put that into the practice. You just walk out today, and every time that you get paid, you say, you know what, before I spend on living and before I put any into savings, I'm going to give a percentage back to God out of what he's entrusted to me. And I'm going to start to put that into practice every time that I get paid. And I want to invite you to move your giving bucket to the front of your list when it comes to your money. And point it toward a mission and watch how God uses your generosity to both make an impact in the lives of other people and to make an impact in your own heart as well as you live like this. 
So both of those invitations, that's our next steps. Whatever your next step is, let's agree in prayer as we close together. God, there are those of us who would say this, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you. And I realize you're a God of generosity, that you move in my direction, that you bring me back in a relationship with you. So I want to say yes to that invitation. Make me your son, make me your daughter, and help me to do my best to follow you and your way of living. I trust you. I trust that your way of living is the best way to live. So help me to follow you as I do that. And God, there are those of us who would pray this. God, when it comes to my generosity, when it comes to the things that you've entrusted to me, help me to live open-handed. Help me to live with an abundance mindset, recognizing you're the one who owns it all. You've entrusted it to me. Help me to manage it well so that I can live generously. And God, give us the wisdom to know how to do that in our own lives and then give us the courage to do it. We commit this day to you in Jesus' name. Amen.